Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined once again by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune to discuss the Vikings start of training camp. Oh, hi, guys. Sorry about hey, Andrew. that. Hey. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for waving. Oh, hey, Andrew. Oh, hey. Um, we're going to discuss a lot of Vikings news, notes, observations, um, just storylines coming out of the first week of Vikings training camp. There's plenty to get to. We'll take your Twitter questions as well. Uh, we have to start with, uh, I think we really should just start with a more relaxed Mike Zimmer because we are seeing a different tone at the start of this training camp. Even Mike Zimmer came out and said when he was asked yesterday, Thursday of this week, um, how have you adapted or changed or just grown and entering your eighth year as Vikings head coach? And Mike Zimmer says, well, I think I'm getting a little soft maybe. And we are seeing a softer side of Mike Zimmer and Ben, does it just come down to the fact that he's surrounded by defensive veterans now? Basically, every this defense is new. There's just kind of this honeymoon phase he's going through with this new defense. There is that. He is also a new grandpa. We should uh, we should congratulate Mike Zimmer on that. His daughter had, uh, I believe, twins uh, earlier this summer, so maybe that softened him up a little bit. Um, but I, I think it probably has more to do with the fact that. He has corners like Patrick Peterson that, I mean, he was even talking about it yesterday that I don't have to go through and um, explain everything to them. And and he's coming out, Peterson's talking about, well, they're in a reduced split. So it's going to mean this type of thing. And he, he made it sound like there was not a lot of that type of uh, conversation, you know, the, the advanced, the, the 3000, 4000 level defensive back course, um, happening last year was probably a lot more at the 1000 level. I think most schools use a hundred, but the U always uses a thousand. So that's why I say that in case that sounds weird. Um, yeah. I, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that there's defensive veterans. He got what he wanted and uh, it, it, it's been odd. He's been uh, self-deprecating. He's been funny. He's told stories. He's answered questions with some expansiveness. Uh, it kind of feels like 2015 again. I, We'll see if it lasts, but it's been uh, a kinder, gentler Zim the first two times he's been at a podium, at least. Yeah, Mike, how long is that going to last? Uh, as long as the defense plays well, I guess. But I, I think there is something to it, you know, that having a lot of defensive veterans, especially compared to last season. I mean, if you think about last year compared to this year, there was a lot of pressure last year. And you can you could say there's pressure this year, too. But, you know, last year they were coming off a playoff win. They, you know, they, they felt good about themselves. And so there was like next step kind of pressure, but then there was also the weirdness of, you know, pandemic life. I'm sure it was a stressful year the last year and not like we're completely out of the pandemic, but things are changed. Now you have a lot of, a lot of players vaccinated, not all of them. Um, but you, you've also, so you've got, you know, probably a training camp that feels somewhat closer to normal. And you've got, you know, like you said, tons of, especially defensive back you know, help that just, you know, veteran guys there. He probably feels a million times better about the front four than he did at this time last year when, you know, after the Pierce opt out after, you know, they had lost Daniel Hunter around this point last season, you know, they were finding out that they wouldn't have him. Um, you know, the, 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 the two, you know, 
linebacker is kind of going to be what it is with Barr and, and Kendricks as long as they're healthy. But, you know, reinforcing the, you know, kind of the front and the back of that defense has to make him feel a lot better. And, and Ben, I should, I should, uh, off topic, but you brought this up. The only class in my entire academic career, high school or college that I got a grade worse than B was a 5,000 level Greek history class at the U that I still have no idea why I took. Why, yeah. Why are you taking Greek history at the 5,000 level? I don't know. And the, the greatest idea that my roommate and I had at the time is that we weren't, we were going to share books. We weren't going to ball. We weren't, we were both going to take the <laughs> class. We were just going to share the books. And, uh, it was a disaster. It was a disaster. So when I needed an extra class in college, uh, and actually David LeVake, our preps reporter will appreciate this as well. Um, I, I was trying to, I think I had like 14 credits and like, Oh, okay. I could, I could throw one more thing in here just to get a couple more. I took, um, history of rock and roll, uh, up from the beginning of the, the, the medium to the, the genre, I should say up until like 1972, which was a great class. The guy that taught it was like, you could tell he, uh, <laughs> he knew of what he spoke from the 1960s. Let's put it that way. Um, he lived it. He lived it and may still have been living it i don't know but then we took uh, 1972 to the present david levake and i did together that one was not as much fun the the professor had like uh, like a you know a, a cardigan wrapped around his um uh, and he had like a sweater tied around his neck and and he he plays smells like teen spirit and he and he plays the beginning of it and he just goes and so it goes and turns it off. And he's like, so what do we make of this? Like, <laughs> what are we doing? We're, we're studying Kurt Cobain. Like it's uh, Monet or something. <laughs> so that one was a little less fun, but that's where I went to take extra classes. Moral yeah. of the story, do that. Don't take 5,000 level Greek history. Yes. You're trying to get a class. I do think Mike Zimmer seeing Daniel Hunter on the field was similar to that guy hearing smells like teen spirit. Probably. Mike, I think the one player <laughs> And, and, I think, I was, and I was about as clueless in Greek history as the Vikings defensive backs were last season. <laughs> I think the one player that Mike Zimmer has beamed about the most was just seeing Daniel Hunter back on the field for day one of training camp. I'd asked him yesterday about just his impressions because we talked to the head coach before practice every day. So we couldn't get his thoughts on the first practice until day two. And just asking about Daniel Hunter and him saying that I wasn't necessarily following him around practice, but I sure did notice him and how he wasn't really limited nine months off neck surgery. Um, that guy, I think, not just the veterans in the secondary and the new players, but bringing back basically your best defender, a guy who's, we mentioned before, really a defensive player of the year candidate when he's healthy. He looks like it so far, even though they haven't put pads on. It's really good for the Vikings and for Mike Zimmer to see that Daniel Hunter can be pretty much unlimited right now in these practices. He's not taking reps off. He's not doing work on a side field. This guy is part of the team. He's back. He's involved right away. And that's probably the best sign that Mike Zimmer could have gotten. And maybe it's just that that has led to Mike Zimmer being as cheerful as he has been throughout this first week of training camp, um, because it's certainly not because of his offensive line coach situation. That was a headache. That was three months in the making as Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer divulged with Rick Dennison refusing to get the COVID vaccine, the league vaccine protocols, basically forcing coaches to get it because they're saying you cannot be on the field with players. You can't be in team meeting rooms. You basically can't be in the building. If you are, yeah, you can't do your job if you're not vaccinated. And so the Vikings found a different job for Rick Dennison. He's going to be a digital virtual only advisor where he kind of zooms in with the team, 
He's basically working on 2020 rules while everybody else is working on 2021 rules now that the vaccine is available. They have a new offensive line coach in Phil Rauscher. There is another guy uh, on the staff, not coaching staff, but the equipment staff and Aaron Newman, who didn't get vaccinated. He's not with the team right now. So they've had a couple of adjustments they've had to make, but the biggest one is that O-line coach. And Ben, what can you say about this switch in kind of the three months that led up to this change? Yeah, I mean, it, it's something they were working through for quite a while. I, As I understand it, the idea that he was going to be leaving the organization or be out of the organization was never something that came up in their conversations with his agent, Peter Schaefer. It was always okay, uh, you're not going to be able to do your job in the way that you would typically do it unless you get a vaccine. And I think we heard Mike Mike Zimmer say it again this week, kind of reiterating his call for vaccines so that you can do your job. And he kind of talked about telling Rick Spielman, I'm glad you have more patience than I do. So I'm sure there were probably some moments where Mike Zimmer uh, let his unfiltered thoughts about why can't we all just get on the same page with this in so many words, some of them not repeatable on this podcast without an E rating. I'm sure he let some of those out, but as I understand it, at least as part of the negotiations, there was never the idea that Rick Dennison was going to leave. It's, it was always just, how do we do something that allows you to be on the staff, but do your job in a way that is compliant with these rules. So it's going to be interesting to see where this goes because the other thing Mike Zimmer brought up was with Phil Rauscher in the sense that Rauscher, as he said, it has had other opportunities to leave over the last couple of years. He's had opportunities to go be a full-time position coach rather than the assistant offensive line coach like he's been. So say Rick Dennison decides to get vaccinated or say that the NFL relaxes the rules to the point where you can be back on the field because the, virus starts to recede, you know, hopefully that happens, but let's say we live in that world. What happens after that? I asked Mike Zimmer that question this week and he kind of said, the rules change all the time. We're just going with this for now. I would find it a little hard to see them giving Phil Rauscher this title and then taking it away if the rules change and Rick Dennison comes back to this offensive line coach job. I, I think in some ways this worked out probably in a about as good of a way as it could because remember when Gary Kubiak retired they were looking for like the the old guy that could be kind of a a link between Clint Kubiak and Mike Zimmer kind of like what they wanted to have with Tony Sperano before he tragically passed away like they had with Gary Kubiak in Kevin Stefanski's first year as a coordinator so they were looking for that didn't really ever find the right fit for that job last spring. So Rick Dennison now can kind of fill in that role and be a little bit more of a, a sounding board, maybe for Mike Zimmer, a little bit more of a, an advisor, a mentor for Clint Kubiak in, in the event that Gary's out cutting grass on the, on the ranch and isn't able to take his call right at the moment. So in, in some ways it, it may have worked out in a way that is fine in case Rick Dennison retires in the next couple of years or wants to kind of occupy this type of role going forward. Yeah. And I imagine too, with Rick Dennison's role initially as run game coordinator, that's the generally the sticking point, at least it has been in the past with Mike Zimmer and his offensive coordinators is the run game. How Mm -hmm. often do you run? When do you run? 
So Rick being still part of the team and being able to advise and game planning. And that's the one thing that, that stood out to me is when they were explaining what Rick was going to be doing this year, they were quick to transition to the regular season and say, once we get into game planning, he is still going to have a prominent voice in how we approach our opponent that given week. And so with a young coordinator in Kubiak who might have ideas of his own of how he wants to approach a game, Rick can be that intermediary between him and Zimmer. And certainly Zimmer probably doesn't need it. Zimmer probably makes his thoughts known to Clint regardless, but Rick can be that kind of bridge still. And it's not just going to be the 60 year old, some head coach with the 30 some year old coordinator and kind of tugging at it the way it was with, with John Day Filippo, for instance, in 2018, when there was that tension there that led to a midseason firing. Um, and the fact too, that they pointed out that this, Phil Rauscher is a guy who's worked with the Kubiaks. He was with the Broncos in 2015 and 16. He's worked with Clint Kubiak before. So this new offensive line coach is basically going to be carrying the same philosophies, basically just imprinting on the same stuff they wanted from Rick Dennison and in this system. And so it's not like they had to go out and hire somebody new and, and they feel like this transition should be smooth, but we're really not going to find out until they start playing games and how the run games coordinated, for instance, and how all those things can work out. Um, Mike, what was your reaction just seeing this news from the Vikings? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you guys make good points. Maybe that smooths over a little bit of my concern. I just, I, I'm always wary of, you know, when you have a, a sudden kind of unexpected change, you know, right before camp, you know, person, you know, pretty significant job personnel change. Um, it can have an impact on a team. It just, it just can you, it's a, even if it's got, even if this guy's got the same, you know, same philosophical approach, you're, you're changing the chain of command to a certain degree. You're, you're changing the voice that a lot of these offensive linemen have been hearing. Now it would be more concerning if we were talking about, uh, keeping together the, uh, the voice that had led them to the number three ranked offensive line in 2020. We are not talking about that. Um, so there's cer certainly room for growth, uh, regardless of who is in charge right now. And it turned, it could turn out that Rauscher is an excellent, uh, excellent fit and excellent candidate for that. But I'm, I always kind of got my, you know, I always got my antenna up when there's, when there's weird little changes like that and what the ripple effect is. So I'm just going to be curious to see, you know, how that plays out and you know how much of that, if the line does struggle, how much of that we can attribute to kind of this, this, you know, this disruption essentially in the plan. Yeah, we have yet to see the offensive line for the Vikings, the expected starting offensive line, take a snap together because rookie tackle Christian Derrissaw is still on the mend. He had surgery in January to repair a groin hernia issue that he had played through uh, at Virginia Tech last year. Uh, that popped up again in June as an issue where Mike Zimmer described it as a pull to that groin, and they're still taking it easy with him now. So you have Rashad Hill taking reps at left tackle. You've got the other rookie, Wyatt Davis, not doing a whole lot with the first-team offense. They have been rotating to start camp, Dakota Dozier and Ole Udo at that right guard spot. It's hard to know if they're actually looking at Udo as a possible starter or if they're trying to see if he can play that position and give more reason for him to just stay on the roster because the only regular – say that again? As a swing guy. Yeah, exactly, because the only regular season reps we've seen Ole Udo take were at a uh, 2019 season finale where he played right tackle. This guy has not played guard in an NFL game yet, but neither is Wyatt Davis. So that probably leads to Dakota Dozier being uh, a front runner, at least at this point, to keep his job until somebody else is ready to take it from him. Um, Deep breaths, Mike. Not great, Bob. 
<laughs> we'll see though Dakota Dozier and or excuse me Christian Derrissaw the rookie left tackle that's going to be the big story to watch when he finally is healthy enough to practice and play again the Vikings are taking it easy with him in, in anticipation of not pushing him too early so that when he can get on the field he can stay on the field and try to really put in meaningful reps against you know it's going to be Daniil Hunter for instance because we're seeing Daniil Hunter move from right end to left end we're seeing him kind of read offensive formations to decide where he's going to line up. So that might be something where the Vikings are implementing some more changes on defense. And that's going to put Christian Derrissaw across from Daniel Hunter at times during practices, very meaningful reps that that rookie needs. And he needs to play in preseason games to get ready for week one. If he's going to be the starter, if not, we know Rashad Hill, he's a serviceable fill in, but not necessarily the franchise cornerstone at left tackle the same way they view Christian Derrissaw as being down the road. Um, speaking of tackle, we should talk about Brian O'Neill. He is the big free agent for the Vikings after this year. Of course, Harrison Smith is also set to be a free agent as well. Um, but with O'Neill, that's the guy that they want to plug and play for 10 more years. They, they, they view him as that cornerstone of that line in the same way they hope Christian Derrissaw approaches. And I found it interesting to talk to Brian O'Neill, a guy who's very diplomatic, <laughs> he's not, he's not going to come out and say, yes, I, I just can't wait to get that money. He's saying I'm focused on football, focused on practicing against the Vikings pass rushers and just having a good day, day in and day out. But I had to ask him, I'm like, look, Brian, you're seeing three different right tackles get paid at least 17 million a year. Just over the past month, the right tackle market has soared. Ben, you wrote about how before those three, there was only two guys who were getting paid double digit millions per year. And now all of a sudden that group is five. And then Brian O'Neill wants to be the sixth right tackle getting paid 10 plus million a year. He could be worth 15 plus million a year. And Brian O'Neill just kind of laughs and goes, I mean, yeah, I've noticed it. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, ben, what have you heard just in terms of where they're at with contract discussions? Cause Mike Zimmer did say that they have been discussing a deal for him. Typically the Vikings like to get these things done before camp. But given these contract numbers that are coming out around the league, it's not hard to figure out why they might be having some issue wrapping that deal up. Yeah, I mean, they they are working on it from everybody I've talked to. That's certainly what Mike Zimmer said is, is happening. They are they're actively working on it, trying to get something done. Usually it's either at the beginning of camp or you see it happen maybe the day before the season, like we saw with Dalvin Cook last year, where it's. The, these things kind of come up as artificial deadlines. Yes, you could sign it at any time, but it's sort of seen as this, let's get it done so we can just focus on football and you don't have to have it hanging over your head. You don't have to be worried about it. So that tends to be why these things get done around this time. And they also, I think, like to have these things done at the beginning of training camp because it's sort of this, hey, we just got this guy signed. There's natural optimism about the beginning of a new season. Let's capitalize on that and use this as a way to kind of promote our way of doing things. I, I do think there is some element of a marketing strategy in why they like to get these things done right at the beginning of camp, but it can take a little bit longer. Uh, over time, we saw it, I think, with Stefan Diggs a few years back where it took maybe a week into camp to get things done. And I do think, yes, the, the way the market has changed uh, just in the last month has made this a lot more complicated because Yes. At, before these three deals, it was Jack Conklin in, in Cleveland 
and Lane Johnson in Philadelphia, they were the only ones making, I think, more than 10 a year. There are a few guys right around 10, but that had kind of been where the market was. Now, then Ryan Ramchek gets his deal, and Ryan Ramchek is seen as kind of the gold standard at right tackle in the NFL right now. And then you have – it was uh, Taylor Moten in Carolina getting $18 million a year, not quite what Ramchek got, but, again, everybody kind of regards Ramchek as the best – and Braden Smith getting his deal from the Colts. So Brian O'Neill's people have every reason to sit there and say, the price just went up. You need to make this deal probably worth $17 million a year, you know, get it in that 17, 18 range to get it done. The Vikings, I was, I think Andrew and I were talking about this a little bit of practice yesterday. There are, pro football focus metrics that you can use to say Brian O'Neill is better than these other guys that have gotten paid. There are pro football focus metrics you can use to say that Brian O'Neill has not been quite as good as these guys that are getting paid. And it will be very interesting. Not that we'll ever find out, but as much as Mike Zimmer talks about not liking pro football focus, uh, if that becomes part of the discussions in terms of just a metric that people use as kind of publicly available to evaluate offensive linemen, which can be a hard thing to quantify, it would be interesting to find out that they use that to, to try to help themselves. But with all of the money they pushed into next year with void years for Anthony Barr, the, the Kyle Rudolph move the way they made it, a void year for uh, – who am I forgetting? The, the, uh, was it Dalvin Tomlinson? Uh, no, no. It, they, that comes in later. Sheldon Richardson, oh. they actually did it with. Yeah. Uh, Dalvin Tomlinson's is a year or two down the road, but yeah, because his deal is two years, and they added the voids after that. But they pushed, I think, fourteen million dollars of costs into next year for players that don't have contracts, which is Richardson, Barr, and Rudolph. They also pushed money back with things like signing bonus conversions for Adam Thielen. And even with the Neil Hunter, they did that this year. So they have a lot of costs on their cap next year that were just a matter of, we need to try to survive this year because the, the cap dropped 8%. The Vikings didn't have a ton of room to carry over. They were trying to feel the competitive team and they had signed a lot of these contracts before COVID came in and wrecked the economic structure of a lot of the game with people not being able to be in the stands. Obviously the TV money still accounts for a lot of it, but we saw the Packers financial statements teams lost a lot of money last year because they can't have fans in the stands. So a lot of what the Vikings were trying to do this summer is just kind of live to fight another day. And the tricky part of this becomes the another day is coming and there are other players that need to get paid and there are free agents galore next year, all these guys on one year deals. So I think it gets done, but it makes it more complicated when the costs went up the way they did. And when the cap situation for next year is still going to be tricky. Yeah, Mike. And this is fascinating to me now, just thinking about it because I had seen something this morning that showed that the Packers have also mortgaged a lot of cap space into next year. And the salary cap ceiling for 2022 has actually already been set. I think at like 208 million or something like that. And Packers so they're going to have more quarterback costs next year though. Yeah. Well, true. And so in terms of where the, uh, how much money they're pushing into the future and how high the cap can jump next year, the Packers have already mortgaged more dead cap space into next year or just future cap space into next year with their deals 
to get people signed this year, to compete this year, to do what Aaron Rodgers hinted at as being a last dance for the Green Bay Packers and uh, just him in Green Bay. Um, they seem to have been kind of pushed. Not their a vacation chip. destination. No. By the way. Uh, but Mike, the Packers seem to have pushed their chips into the middle. And Ben just told you the Vikings have also done that for 2021. It seems like both of these teams are trying to go all in in the NFC North on this year for very different reasons. Yeah, it seems that way. I mean, the, the Packers, for obvious reasons, with Aaron Rodgers and, you know, feeling like they're coming off of two NFC, you know, NFC championship game appearances and they're getting very close to the Super Bowl. And the Vikings, you know, for similar reasons, feeling like they're maybe at kind of the end of a window and, you know, again with people whose jobs are on the line, quite frankly, if they don't have a good season. Um, But it is interesting and you wonder, you know, could, you know, A, could the Vikings also have lower quarterback costs next year if something happens? And B, um, with an O'Neal deal, do they have enough space like this year to kind of front load that deal? Because it seems like they've made more space this year than I thought they would have at this point. So I, in order to answer this question, I went through last night and started playing with the the calculator and over the cap, which is very helpful. It's not where I get my financial information. They're, they're very good at what they do. It's very reliable, but everybody always thinks, oh, you just get your data from over the cap. I, that's not where I get it. I have a, a closer source to the uh, situation than that, but I do use it for calculation stuff because they have a very helpful tool and they they get their information, I think, a lot from a lot of the same places that I do. So I went in and tried to figure out, okay, if this guy gets cut, this guy gets cut, what does it look like heading into the season? Because right now they have about $14 million of space. They won't have quite that much as we head into the year because right now you're only counting your top 51 contracts against the cap. So I think they'll probably have in the neighborhood of 7 or $8 million when you start the season and there's still things they could do. Of course, if, if they did get a deal done with Harrison Smith, that would probably lower the the cap number for him this year. And you could push some money off into the future, but they do have to be careful. Like we said about doing too much of that next year. So they will have some money to roll over. And I think they, if they're going to do a Brian O'Neill deal, uh, it's hard. It rhymes. Uh, you would put a signing bonus in it to give a lot of the money and then you can spread that out and you stick some of that into this year. And of course that gets pushed into the, the first five years of the deal. And by that point, all this new TV money hits, a lot of this stuff is probably a distant memory, hopefully with COVID and you're fine. So a lot of the strategy I think would be that if they, if they get something done with Brian O'Neill, I would expect a fairly large signing bonus to try to spread out some of these costs and push some of those off into 2023, 2024. But you have to figure out a way to get enough money in there so that it's a competitive contract. And I think this could come down in some ways to, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. Does he want to be the top paid guy or is it a little bit like some of these deals they did a couple of years ago, Diggs, Hunter, et cetera, where it's, I'm going to take a, a contract that gets me in the top, you know, echelon of my position, but maybe not at the very top of the ladder because I want to be here and we have other guys to pay. So that is going to be the question. And the Hunter deal and the Diggs deal had both of those guys feeling upset about where they stood in the, in the pecking order. So 
we'll see how that goes. But Mike, to your point, the quarterback thing, I think more than ever is coming to a head because you talk about contracts that were signed before COVID. They needed to do that to clear cap space, but that $45 million cap hit for Kirk Cousins next year felt like a trigger then. It feels like even more of one now because they don't have as many veterans that they can restructure and push off into the future next year. You could do it. If you're going to have a Daniel Hunter contract, you're not going to have his cap hit be with that $18 million roster bonus. You, you probably could come to Adam Thielen and try to restructure a little bit, but the big one is cousins. And I just, one way or the other 45 million for him next year feels like a, a hard thing to fit into your overall picture. All right. Well, Let's move on to a couple other notes from Vikings camp. We haven't discussed the signing of receiver D.D. Westbrook, who comes in expecting to compete as the Vikings punt returner and the slot receiver. The former Jaguars wide receiver was Jacksonville's top slot receiver in 2018 and 2019 when he uh, had the most production. I think he had 1,300 yards and I think nine touchdowns over those two years. And so he gives them some experience there, some ability to not rely just on Chad Beebe being your slot receiver and allows them maybe to go three wide a little more comfortably than they have in the past. Mike, what did you think of that move? I like it. It feels like it's pretty low risk because Disney, didn't I read a, one of you had a note at the end of something yesterday or day before where it's, you know, it's the veteran minimum, but it's even less than that as a cap hit because there's a, some kind of caps, you know, stipulation for a four-year veteran. Yep. So his cap number is less than a million dollars. You know, someone who's caught over 60 balls, two straight years, um, you know, that's a, that's a reasonable thing, especially for someone you could see playing a pretty prominent role for a quarterback who, you know, if things play out the way I expect them to play out, might not have as much time to throw, might be looking for a lot of those hot reads on third down, looking for a guy who's reliable in those situations. The biggest question is how healthy is he? He tore his ACL in October, right? I mean, this is like a Adrian Peterson timeline, not a, not an old, you know, 10 years ago, ACL timeline. And I know the recovery from ACLs. I think the timeline has maybe used to be kind of like a one year thing. Now they, they, it has been kind of shortened to more of like a six to nine month thing in some cases, just because the the technology has gotten better. Sounds like he's good to go. Um, but you know, guys coming off that you you do, you do wonder, you know, how that holds up and if they are really a hundred percent yet. Yeah. Westbrook is still limited. We're seeing him do rehab on a side field. And of course he's still learning the playbook. So he wouldn't be thrown right away into the first team offense or second team for that matter, right out of the gate. But we did see him fielding some punts and practices. He is getting some work in. Um, so they do view this as he's going to be ready for the regular season when that time comes and they still have five weeks until they're there. Uh, ben, what does this say about just the offense and kind of the receiving core right now? Well, they needed a third receiver. I mean, I, I think they have – that's been an, a known issue for a while. And they took Namir Smith-Marset in the draft. I think he could still end up in that mix. But you need somebody for your three receiver packages and in case anything happens to Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. They have one of the best duos in the league at the top. But it's it's one of those spots where – having a guy with some experience that they haven't been able to sign for a million dollars or $2 million can make a difference. We saw it with, uh, with certainly with Jarius, Wright. I mean, I think that's the guy we always think of, but uh, who was a guy they signed a few years ago from Washington that had like eight touchdowns. Uh, Washington. Guy. 
I know I was thinking of uh, Kendall Wright. They brought him in from Tennessee yep. a few yep. years ago and guaranteed him 500 grand and then cut him out of camp. Yeah, Tajay Sharp was a similar experience. Yep. So who was oh. the guy from Washington? He, he Like Cousins first year, he had like eight touchdowns. Uh, Al, or uh, um, the, the go the Aldrick Robinson. Aldrick Robinson. Yeah, I was just blanking on the first name. And there you go. I knew it was A. Robinson, but that's all he all he did was catch touchdowns. He was the new Chris. Uh, <laughs> well, it's kind of all he did, yes. Um, but he was a good deep thread. He he clicked right. with Kirk. He made a contribution. So getting those guys that are a little more polished at that position is another one of those kind of middle class jobs that they haven't been able to fill. And I think this one is is potentially a a good fit. I, it was one, it was a guy we kind of all talked about at the beginning of the spring, given the connection with Keenan McCardle. And I think certainly the punt returning aspect of this could be very helpful as well, because they have struggled there a lot since Marcus Sherrill's left town. I, you know, I think the big takeaway for me with this is I'm just really excited that we get to talk about the BBDDBC battle. Oh for, my God. <laughs> the BBDDBC. Is yep. that what you just said? Yeah. Yeah. BBDDB. Wow. <laughs> Thank wow. you. <laughs> I'm just, I'm speechless at this point. That's uh, that's something, something to, something to really think about, something to take in. Don't forget about it. Can you work KJ in there somewhere? KJ, they've gotten KJ Osborne a lot of work. Okay. Time. Sam Ekstrom. <laughs> I'm sure he's just going to be uh, a depth piece and somebody who uh, contributes on special. KJ. It doesn't have quite the same ring to it, but you can do it. It doesn't. Um, they'll be working him in as well, but he'll probably just compete for reps on special teams and be a depth guy. But um, I listen to a lot of Hamilton. I get really good at saying things quickly. Injury wise, who's participating, who's not? We've already gone through Christian Derrissaw, D.D. Westbrook. Um, we have seen Michael Pierce do a lot more than I thought. And, and Michael Pierce says he's doing more than even the Vikings thought. He had injured his calf, strained it while training. He said he was doing agility work. He said some defensive end stuff, doing some lateral movement. He said moving, <laughs> moving his 340 pounds laterally, he was doing that a bit too much and strained his calf. But he had said that happened three weeks before it was even reported. So it was reported last week. So this happened a month ago. And he said he's nearing a return. That's good news for the Vikings who have not seen this guy wear pads for them in a practice in the 18 months since they signed him. So He's anxious to finally get out on the field, and that is going to give them that. What did uh, Eric Kendricks call it, Ben? Meaty boys. That's going to give them meaty boys up front. That's going to give them their meaty boys up front with him and Dalvin Tomlinson. And it just goes to show that they don't expect Michael Pierce out very long because during practices, they've kept Dalvin Tomlinson pretty much at that three tech spot. They've just plugged Armin Watts, the backup nose tackle, in for Michael Pierce. And so if Michael Pierce are going to be missing any extended time, and especially during the regular season, you would assume Dalvin Tomlinson would be that nose tackle and they would bring Shelton Richardson in for that three tech spot, but they haven't shifted a lot around. They've kept their guys where they would be at if Michael Pierce were playing. And with Michael Pierce saying he expects to come back soon, there's little reason to believe otherwise. And so that is good news for the Vikings, along with Daniel Hunter, Anthony Barr, all their other injured players coming back and seemingly being at full strength at this point. Weapons. Bad news for my October 31st prediction of his return, though. <laughs> so what's your – are you adjusting that prediction at all? I Mike? might need to. I, I got to see one more. I got to see him on the field before. I, I, don't, I don't want to hear it about any setbacks. I don't want to hear it about – As soon as I hear setback, I'm worried. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, we got 15 minutes left. Let's get to some Twitter questions here. We got quite a few of them. Um, 
let's start with something that we, we talked about briefly at the top because Neil also asked about it. Our friend from London, he asks, is Mike Zimmer becoming more chilled or is it that he has lots of new toys and no bad news? And then he says, parenthetically, yet. No bad news yet. Um, ben, is there anything else you have to add? Is this, is this just a more chill Mike Zimmer now entering year eight? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I, I do think the years where he is the most tense are the years where they're coming off of making the playoffs. I, you know, the even numbered years have been the ones where they're coming off the playoffs and everybody says, okay, they're going to be the team that's going to take the next step in the NFC. They're going to be one of the teams to beat. Certainly 2016. That's the one that sticks out to me where the stadium was opening. They had just been to the playoffs. They were kind of this team on the rise. Everybody thought they were one of the contenders in the NFC. He gets his contract extension. And I just remember at the beginning of training camp, he was really tense. And it was almost as if feeling that pressure of, I got to go do it again, was bothering him as much as you know, coming off of a year where you didn't play very well. So it, it maybe seems like expectations aren't quite as high. There's not quite as much attention on the team as there was. Uh, that could be part of it. it. It could just be that things feel normal again. I, and he's talked about that a fair amount that, I mean, even with us, <laughs> when it's no secret that doing uh, press conferences is not probably the thing he looks forward to the most in a day. I, he plays that up some. I think he likes the back and forth a little more than he lets on. But be that as it may, I think just not having to do all this stuff virtually and sit and have a mask on and talk over Zoom and all of this kind of stuff. I, it just I've I've felt that from a number of people this week that just having it feel normal again injects a fair amount of optimism in and of itself. Yeah, just being able to meet with your coaches in person, you know, do all that stuff that it just was so difficult last year through all the protocols. Um, all right, we got another question here from Iron Leaf. He wants to know who's in the mix for the third linebacker job? Who's taking first team reps, second team reps, et cetera? So obviously, Eric Wilson is gone. Mike, how big of a deal do you think that is? I mean, it depends on who, you know, how how high quality his replacement is. I don't think he was, I think Eric Wilson was adequate. I don't think he was necessarily even above average, but he was a known commodity who, you know, was, was a solid player. And those, those subtractions can be sneakier than, than we, than we think, you know, we we can think we can look back on a lot of different parts of the Vikings over the, you know, the last six to eight years where something just got a little less solid than all of a sudden it, it goes from being adequate to being shaky. And, you know, you don't need your third linebacker to be great when you've got Eric Hendrickson and Anthony Barr, especially with a lot of the defenses they play. They're in nickel a lot. You know, those guys aren't going to be on the field a ton, but you need them to be able to be you know, a good run fit. You need to be able to play the pass when needed. So you need to be you need to have someone you can trust there. And you could trust Eric Wilson. And I'm not even you know way up to speed on what this competition looks like. And that kind of tells you kind of who the, who the candidates probably are at this far at this point, right? Yeah, it, right now they've had Nick Vigil basically taking the lead. He's the former Bengals guy. And, and let's not forget, Paul Gunther, former Bengals defensive coordinator, is on this staff. They brought in Nick Vigil on a one-year deal, um, basically guaranteed him a roster spot to come in and at least contribute on special teams. But he'll be ready to take that weak side linebacker job if second-year linebacker Troy Dye, second-year linebacker Cam Smith, 
those are the guys that are competing with them for those reps. But Vigil being the most experienced in this scheme with multiple coaches on the staff, you would assume that that's going to be the front runner for the job. And from what I've seen, he's been taking a lot of those first team reps in that defense. But Ben, I wonder how often they're going to use it because you look at this defense, it's July. So a, a lot can change. But in practices, we're seeing, obviously they use nickel quite a bit, but we're also seeing a lot of five defensive linemen getting mixed in there as well. And it'll be interesting to see how often they go to something like that, or if this is just a July thing that they're throwing out there to see how it looks on film, because we're seeing Daniel Hunter, Stephen Weatherly, DJ Wanham, and then two defensive tackles and either Tomlinson and Watts, Tomlinson and Pierce, Richardson and Tomlinson. We're seeing them mix these defensive uh, linemen in quite a bit in different packages. And I think that'll give them flexibility to not rely so much on the traditional three linebackers uh, that they've gone with in the past for their base defense. Yeah. I mean, and the obvious thing that people are going to wonder with that as well. Okay. Then how do you drop into coverage with that? I, I wouldn't get too caught up in that a because your third linebacker is probably not a guy that's great in, in pass coverage anyway. And B you have a lot of these, these defensive ends like Steven Weatherly who played linebacker in college or, like DJ Wanham, Daniil Hunter, that are three, four body types anyway, that if you have to have somebody, you know, go cover a running back that, that leaks out or cover a hook zone or, or something like that, um, you know, to be the, the, the hook curl defender, whatever would happen to be in zone coverage, you can probably live with that from time to time. And you're probably not going to do it terribly often in situations where, that's your, your coverage behind it anyway. So it, they have a lot of depth up front in the sense that you have two tackles that can plug up a lot of things and you have some flexible pass rushers and you have linebackers that can do a lot of different things if it's Barr and Kendricks. So I can certainly see the logic there. of Let's just put the seven best athletes, the seven most disruptive players we have on the field and make people deal with that. And we'll figure the rest out later because they'll have enough things to figure out in terms of who's coming, who's dropping, that this may create more disruption for them than problems for us. Yeah, and I got to be careful because there's a lot of NFL rules and media protocols about what you're allowed to report from Vikings camp or any NFL training camp in terms of personnel and stuff. But I'll just say we've seen a lot of defensive ends backpedaling um, in Vikings camp so far. So it'll be interesting to see how much they get those guys involved. And yeah, you're right. Cause when it comes to blitz packages, mixing those guys up, not knowing if DJ Wanham or Hunter is going to drop or rush. Yeah. That adds a lot of confusion for opposing quarterbacks. And we know how Mike Zimmer likes to do that. Um, Eric Vikes fan asks, and this is a good question here of all the Vikings veteran free agent signings this off season, which one of those players has the best chance to get an extension from the Vikings after this season. That is a good uh, ben, what do you think? Okay. Um, are we talking about the one-year deal guys? Yeah, just the guys, they, the new guys they brought in that are on obviously one-year deals. Yeah, yeah I mean, Delvin Tomlinson obviously has more than one year. Um, well, that's a good question. I, I mean, Patrick Peterson would be the first name that comes to mind, except for the fact that he's 31 years old. Um. I could see if he's good, 
that they say, well, we'll, we'll give you another year. I, I don't know that you're going to go and say three, four type, three, four year type deals. I would say that one. The other one, I guess I would keep in mind is maybe Xavier Woods. I'm not sold yet on the idea that he's going to be great and be a guy that you say, yeah, we need to lock him up for the long term. But that one is still up in the air a little bit without Harrison Smith being signed beyond this season. So, and I, I think they're hoping to get that done, but I think O'Neal is closer than Smith. And that does lead you to wonder a little bit, where's that going to go? So that'd be the other name I would throw out there, but so many of these guys were one year. We need to fill a hole type players. Peterson, if he's back to what he's been is more than that, obviously, but I don't look at a lot of these as necessarily foundational moves for the future. Um, a lot of this feels like we need to win now and we need our defense to be better to do that. So we'll, we'll do this and we'll worry about the rest later. I guess that's where I would go with. I'm curious to see what you guys think though. Yeah. I think, you know, some of it depends too on regime, like who's, you know, it's hard to think about extensions when you don't know exactly, you know, who's going to be in charge next season. But a lot of this probably assumes you know, if you're talking about someone having a good year, you would, you know, that would, you know, that would go a long way to, you know, this being a successful, like say Patrick Peterson has a really good year for the Vikings. That probably is going to mean, you know, unless the offense completely falls apart, that's going to mean that the defense was probably pretty good because then that means the pass rush was probably pretty good. That means that the secondary, you know, unless again, you know, you need, you need a lot in the secondary, but if, if he's good, that probably means the secondary is going to be a lot better than it was last season. Then you can start to think about jobs being saved. So I think Peterson is, is the candidate in my mind too, just because even though he is kind of being brought in on this one year deal, sometimes these guys work out where it's the right fit. They kind of have this bounce back and then it becomes, yeah, you could see them extending him for maybe another two years beyond that just to, you know, some protection on both sides, you know, getting paid, but you know, I could see it being like a heavier guarantees in the first year and not much in the second year, but still, you know, getting, getting to the point where they'd like to know beyond just a season what they have at the, at their top corner spot. Yeah. And some of this stuff of the guys who were on one-year deals that were brought in from the outside this off season, it's Patrick Peterson, Mackenzie Alexander, Nick Vigil, Xavier Woods. Those are, those are the main ones. And Obviously, Anthony Barr's effectively on a one-year deal. Daniil Hunter pretty much on a one-year deal. Um, but of those four that were coming in from the outside, it depends, specifically with Alexander, it depends how much do you need him? It, it do, are we going to find out if Jeff Gladney can come back and play in the NFL? Is he going to be out? Is he not going to be in jail? Because no, we may he had, have an answer to that question in a few days. Yeah, and so that that that's going to be a situation where, well, if he gets indicted, it's you know he'll get arraigned and he'll get a trial date set, and that's gonna it's going to continue to progress. But um, the Vikings are going to have that answer for some time. And so if Mackenzie Alexander goes out there and plays great, that's great and all. But do they feel comfortable with Jeff Gladney coming back in 2022? And then maybe you don't need him. So maybe that's not the guy that gets an extension from the Vikings. Maybe it is Patrick Peterson, the outside corner, the shutdown guy. The guy they've really missed since Xavier Rhodes was that in 2017. It's been that long since they've, they've had really a true shutdown corner or a guy playing at that level. Um, we don't see them pay safeties that much outside of franchise tagging Anthony Harris. So I, I don't know if it's going to be maybe Xavier Woods can get locked up with a modest deal if he plays well. Um, but to me, yeah, it's, it's 
got to start and end with Patrick Peterson because that's the guy they really need to play well. And we've heard Patrick Peterson talk and say, I want to extend my career under a guy who's proven he can do that with older defensive backs and Mike Zimmer. And that doesn't really mean he wants to just be here for one year. And the way, and the way Patrick Peterson spoke, he's not going back to Arizona either. So I think it could be a situation where if this works out, there's little reason to think why they wouldn't keep that relationship going. Um, I've got one here from, uh, from Danny on DM. If you want me to jump in here. Absolutely. Could, yeah. you, could you see the Vikings letting the guard competition, you know, Udo versus Davis play out? And if they don't love what they see, signing a vet late in camp. Boy, that'll be interesting to see because I, I don't really think Ole Udo is a true candidate for that starting job. I just think they're trying to feel out whether or not he can play that position right now. Um, it seems to be an indictment on Wyatt Davis, though. The fact that we haven't seen him even get any reps with the ones when he was also stuck with the twos during the spring. And so it'll be interesting to see if that changes going forward, if they've got some plan knowing that, okay, when we finally get the pads on, then we'll get Wyatt in there with the ones to see how he he works. Um, Or they want to just see how he looks in pads before they even do that. Um, It seems to me, like I said earlier, that Dakota Dozier is the front runner to maintain that job. And also he's their backup center too. So it's, they, we've got some questions about this too. We did see Wyatt Davis snapping the ball during practice yesterday. We've also seen Blake Brandle, who's a backup tackle doing the same as well. They are clearly working through their backup center options, trying to figure out who can do that job as well to cross train these guys and try to get, try to keep the best nine or 10 or however many O linemen they keep and figuring out who can be that backup center, who can be that backup guard, the swing guys as Ben talked about who can play both right and left side and help them with their depth. But right now, Ben, I'm not seeing a whole lot of competition for Dakota Dozier. No, there hasn't been much yet. And I, I think the, the Wyatt Davis thing is, I think your instinct is good there. For a little bit I've heard, I, I think the, the rookies have some things to prove to earn those jobs. And I think they're trying to send a little bit of that message as well. But yeah, right now, um, there hasn't been a, a lot of push for Dakota Dozier, unless we're considering only Udo a candidate for it. And I'm with you. I, I think that's a hard, when you, you know, they've, they've wanted to get bigger. Yes, but it's still a zone running team. And I don't know that only Udo fits the profile there. So how many, how many offensive line spots do you feel good about right now? Like one and a half, right? Tackle like right tackle. And maybe Ezra Cleveland, like feeling okay about that. Yeah, we haven't even talked about him, and, and he's obviously a big question mark moving to the left side. He played good in nine starts, played well at nine starts at right guard, but now he's moving back to his natural side on the left, still playing guard, and that's a big question mark. And then, yeah, this is a huge year for Garrett Bradbury, who needs who has 16, 17 more regular season games to state his case for why the team should pick up his fifth-year option next spring. And right now, if the Vikings have to make that decision, I don't think it's picked up because he hasn't played that well. So – this is a huge year for the interior offensive line. And it wouldn't shock me if, and Ben talked about this on the previous podcast, if we, if they find a way to sign a cast off after cuts or find a way to bring in another veteran free agent, because this offensive line needs to show in the interior specifically. And then of course, basically, yeah, all four spots to the left of Brian O'Neill need to prove this summer, this August that they are ready for week one and that they can build some trust with a new offensive line coach and with Mike Zimmer. 
And uh, that's asking a lot. And this is the thing that when we talk about how big of a blow the Denison shift is, I, I'm inclined to think it's not that big of an issue in part because this was a big question before any of that happened, or at least before we knew about any of it happening. This group has a lot to prove. And this now, if the rookies get the jobs from left to right, this could be a completely handpicked uh, offensive line with Christian Darasaw or uh, Christian Darasaw, as we heard Spielman talk about the other day. Um, Ezra Cleveland, there was a video behind the scenes video of them okay. trying to turn back up. And, you know, Rick did one of his mispronounced the name kind of things. Um, Darasaw, Cleveland, Bradbury, Davis, O'Neill. If that's your line, that's five draft picks. So they can say, we've got this group for a while if everybody works out. But there's a lot to be determined there. And you have a lot of young guys. So that would be the only thing to me, if you're switching coaches, that it could disrupt things a little bit with a young group. But the fact that Phil Rusher has been there, the fact that he's been in the scheme, I think it's less of an issue. I think the bigger question is just, can these guys do the job? All right, let's wrap up with the chicken fingers statement of the week. And Mike, I want to get your thoughts on this. It goes. The offensive line is still a disaster. The kids they drafted to address the problem may help eventually years down the road, but any objective observer would not reasonably expect the 23rd and 86th overall picks to magically transform an offensive line in their first season. Mike? He's a thousand percent right. I'm still worried about it. It's, you know, it's not like they haven't learned necessarily because they keep throwing draft picks at the problem. Um, but until it's solved, it's not solved. And if these two, if these two draft picks were still saying they've got a lot to prove and that maybe, you know, they're not as far along as you would hope they would be at this point, um, you know, season starts in five, six weeks and someone's going to have to play on that offensive line. And this team in the Mike Zimmer era has had seasons, multiple seasons, completely ruined, undone by offensive line play. I can speak specifically of 2016, um, I can speak of the 2017 NFC title game and I can speak of the 2018 season. So um, that's a, that's a lot of a uh, lot of gray area for, for them to tread into with uh, with an unproven offensive line. Got a lot of questions about the meaty boys of the Minnesota Vikings. And we will be back talking about all that at StarTribune.com. We'll have more access Vikings podcasts for you later next week. Maybe you should get off the podcast.